Well, thank you very much. <clears throat> I have, in truth, uh, been set an impossible task uh, to answer the question on the examination paper, what might the outcome of the Brexit negotiations look like? Uh, after all, more than four months after the referendum vote on the 23rd of June, the government itself is totally incapable of answering that question. Uh, as ministers duck and weave at the dispatch boxes of both houses, uh, mouthing mantras such as Brexit means Brexit or no running commentary, uh, and as leaks seep out revealing quite fundamental differences between departments and ministers as to the best course to take, it's clear that we are in fact at the moment in a phony war situation a period which is not going to end any time soon, uh, though some ending will be achieved by the end of March, I think, though it may not be as clear-cut as some would wish, but we'll see. Um, so on the other side of the channel, uh, the scene is not actually much better, with the other member states irritated by our decision to leave, uh, distracted by issues of much greater importance to them, such as migration and the future of the Eurozone, and determined not to give us a better deal than we had as members. Uh, they are also lining up a negotiating position which contains an awful lot of negatives and very few positives. So I'm afraid I'm not going to uh, answer your question or at least I'm not going to do so in a straightforward manner. Instead, I will offer you three possible scenarios, and there are no doubt an awful lot more that could be imagined. And I've entitled those three, first, bad Brexit, second, not so bad Brexit, and third, no Brexit. Uh, and I'll refer to each of them a little bit. All three of those uh, scenarios take it for granted that the actual divorce proceedings, uh, which will proceed uh, under the strict terms of Article 50, which is, of course, about that, though it refers to taking account of the future framework, uh, with those uh, divorce proceedings will be adversarial, unpleasant, and will yield an outcome which will leave the United Kingdom with a huge task to fill the void created by amputating 43 years of integration uh, in the European Union, and also with a feeling of being hard done by in the sharing out of the marital assets, which will, as is often the case in divorce proceedings, turn out to be more debts than assets. So what would bad Brexit look like? Well, it's likely, I would suspect, that there would be uh, contained provisions for free or free-ish trade in industrial goods, but nothing much on services, uh, which of course are now 80% of our economy. Uh, the banking passport would go, and our exports of agricultural goods and fish which have been actually rapidly expanding over recent decades, uh, would face high tariffs. There would be uh, customs formalities, 
on trade with the European Union and rules of origin tests, which would damage the complex uh, supply chains of which so much modern manufacture is composed. The vital cooperation on law enforcement measures would lapse because of difficulties over the European Court of Justice's jurisdiction, as would our cooperation over common foreign and security policy. We would be cut off from participation in scientific cooperation programs and other programs, perhaps such as Erasmus, for student exchanges. And our universities would be further damaged by immigration controls on undergraduates and postgraduate students and on the 15% or so of their academic staff who come currently from other EU countries. Now, you might feel that this bad Brexit picture is a bit overdone on the negative side, uh, but it merely replicates what the provisions of the EU-Canada deal, which has just been signed by the European Union and the Canadian Prime Minister, what that consists of. There is actually a worse variant, call it very bad Brexit if you like, uh, which would result if the trade negotiations with the European Union failed to produce agreement at all and we had to fall back on WTO rules with tariffs on our exports uh, to the EU and, their, and our imports from them. Okay, that's bad Brexit. Then there is what I've called not-so-bad Brexit. In this scenario, there would be the sort of freedom of trade which Norway and Switzerland enjoy, and I'm not suggesting this would necessarily be uh, achieved by joining the EEA. Uh, it's clear that the government is viscerally opposed to that, I think more for presentational than any other reasons. Uh, and so they've invented this ghastly phrase called a bespoke agreement. Uh, I'm not quite sure where they picked that one up from, but still. Uh, anyway, the trade provisions would be similar to that, uh, with immigration proceed, uh, uh, provisions perhaps providing some safeguards which stop short of full-blooded denial of freedom of movement. We would agree ways of staying in the justice and home affairs cooperation against serious international crime, of continuing to work with the other EU member states on, um, on common foreign and security policy, and of running the scientific cooperation programs, which are called loosely the 2020 program, and beyond that, further cooperation in the scientific and innovation field. All that would certainly require a budgetary contribution, because we would no longer be contributing directly to the EU budget, but all those policies I've set out cost money. Uh, and there would be some kind of judicial machinery to deal with disputes, which, as Dominic Grieve said in his uh, introductory remarks, is not new to us. We've signed any number of international treaties that provide for that sort of thing in different ways. Now, I need hardly point out that much of this not-so-bad Brexit scenario would be intensely unpalatable to many Brexiteers and would impose great strains on the present government. And then there is the no-Brexit scenario, which the government 
because of the threat it would pose to its own internal cohesion, uh, would wish us to believe simply doesn't exist, uh, even as a remote possibility. Hence their insistence in the courts that Article 50, once triggered, is irrevocable, though there is nothing in the text of the article which justifies that conclusion. And if they do lose the case, either in the High Court or in the Supreme Court, it will be quite substantially, I suspect, as a non-lawyer, I suspect because of their insistence on the irrevocability of triggering Article 50, which has made their case quite a lot weaker than it would have been if they had said that under certain circumstances it might be revocable. Anyway, uh, that we will see. Um, now, uh, I'm not suggesting for one minute that the no Brexit scenario is a likely one. I share the view that Dominic expressed that there would be virtually no support in either House of Parliament for voting against a government a motion if one is brought forward, and I agree with him that I think it is likely to because the pressure on the government is very great uh, not to just do it under the royal prerogative. Uh, I don't think there would be many votes against triggering because I think most people do accept that the rationale of the vote on the 23rd of June is that we have to trigger Article 50 and test the matter. That there is no doubt. There is disagreement over whether the uh, decision of the electorate on the 23rd of June is binding on a sovereign parliament, whatever the circumstances in the negotiations that take place. And I'll mention a little bit about that in, so in, in a minute. Uh, but we're not, of course, talking about the decision that will be taken within the next six months. We're talking about a period of two or two and a half years, could be even longer than that, if it were decided at some stage to prolong the two-year period provided for in Article 50, which is not to be excluded. Um, and frankly, uh, I've not got through the amount of my life I've spent in uh, public service uh, predicting what's going to happen in two or two and a half years' time. Um, and I would say is if only bad or very bad Brexit is on offer as the outcome of the negotiations, it cannot be excluded that Parliament, which remains sovereign in this matter, uh, with or without uh, and all lawyers agree that the uh, 23rd of June vote was not mandatory on Parliament, not binding on Parliament, that with or without a general election or another referendum, it would decide Parliament to reverse the course we set out on on the 23rd of June, and which, as I say, I do not dispute, must now be part of that, those Brexit negotiations which must be undertaken. Now, in marshalling these outcomes into those three alternative scenarios, I have, for the sake of brevity, had to leave out a lot. Uh, most significantly, perhaps, uh, a point that was referred to in the previous session, uh, the impact of each of them on the unity of the United Kingdom itself. Now, clearly, the no Brexit scenario would present no major problems in that regard. Scotland and Northern Ireland having voted strongly in one case and not so strongly in another to remain in the EU, 
and Wales having voted very narrowly to leave. Now, the not-so-bad Brexit scenario would also avoid most of the really damaging consequences for Scotland, which I would mention exclusion from the single market and immigration controls, and those for Northern Ireland, which I would describe as the need for border controls on goods between Ireland and Northern Ireland, uh, the invention of some kind of controls over the movement of people, and I notice that most people discussing this, including perhaps those in Dublin today who are discussing it without the help of the Democratic Unionist Party, uh, will uh, probably say we must avoid controls on the movement of people, we must avoid undermining the common travel area, but I haven't seen anyone who's yet described how you do that without creating an immigration regime which will be like a piece of Gruyere cheese with holes in it and not much else. So we'll see, but there is a will to, to try to do that because of the consequences. And the other Northern Ireland negative consequence which would be avoided would be the loss of European law enforcement legislation which has so successfully depoliticized things like extradition. So it's possible, but not certain in the case of Scotland, that leaving the EU under that scenario, the not so bad one, uh, would avoid triggering a constitutional crisis. But bad Brexit or very bad Brexit would, I think, pose serious risks, although quite different ones in the cases of Scotland, where you're talking about another independence referendum, and Northern Ireland, where you're talking about a backward step with negative consequences on the Good Friday Agreement, uh, of doing uh, it would have that effect of doing precisely one of those things, putting the unity of the UK itself at, into play. So, as the Chinese say, we live in interesting times, and anyone who believed that everything was settled uh, by the vote on the 23rd of June is going to be sadly disappointed.